from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you spending some time with us. The final hour of the show for me. Final hour of the show. Final hour of the year for me. So uh, let's get it right. I'm going to talk about the economy. We've been talking about it all day long. What is going on and why? What are the real effects of it? The two big headlines today that I've been talking about all morning. Seniors forced to working, uh, going back to work. Uh, there's a, it features an 85-year-old who had to go back into the workforce, a 76-year-old, I believe it is, 76-year-old that went back into the workforce or is in the workforce. And these are kind of, this is kind of the outcome of having inflation as, as high as we have it. Um, I, I talked about this. Uh, I think earlier this week, maybe yesterday, about the we understand the ebb and flow of the economy. We have seen really dark days in this country in the economy, and we have bounced back from them long term. I have no doubt that America will continue to be the, uh, a huge force in this world, probably the world's strongest economy. I don't think that that's going to change unless we make dramatic changes in how we do things, and I don't know that we're going to do that. But the Dow right now is down. NASDAQ is down. Um, and that's tough. S&P is down. We're seeing it across the board two days in a row. And um, the byproduct of inflation is hurting everyone. But going back in my lifetime, I've talked about the Carter administration. I was young. You know, when Nixon was in office, I remember that. Um, I remember Gerald Ford when he came in after Nixon resigned. Um, but the real memory I had was of Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, when I was a kid. The president, those are the memories I had. I remember the frustration in people. Now, again, I grew up in a house where my uncles were Teamsters. So I had working class Democrat in my family. Not everybody was, but my uncles were. So this wasn't a family that was right wing that, but everybody was disappointed in the direction of the economy because it was hurting the very working class that the Democratic Party always claimed to be the champion for. Um, but that brought in the years of prosperity that began with Ronald Reagan. We saw those prosperity years continue with Bill Clinton. There was, you know, the tech bubble bust and all that stuff, but we saw prosperity. Um, and now what we're seeing now, we saw we and again under Republican presidents, we saw the market crash and the real estate bubble burst under George W. Bush. But we saw economic prosperity climbing out the Barack Obama years. I've got my opinions on how long it took to climb out of that recession. But the difficulty here is or what I'm trying to say is the difficulty comes all the time in Amer- in America. And a lot of it has to do with the policies of leadership. But the pro- that's the political conversation. That's the conversation we have about politics. And, you know, so if I point to Carter or I point to some of the mistakes I think Clinton made, there are others that will talk about the ballots budget under Clinton and then look at the crash under George W. Bush. And, you know, there's validity in all those conversations. Who is best equipped? Who has the best plan? And you look at Arizona and you say, okay, I know here's a plan that is everything I say about an economy and how it's supposed to work. When you have smaller government, low tax base, low regulation, you're able to maintain your regulation and keep everything being run the right way without over-regulating people, allowing them to do what they do best, whether it's the working class or the big business owners, and you have everybody pay a low amount of taxes, but when you have such of your workforce employed and those people are making more money, they're paying more in taxes, more in sales taxes when they buy things, more in income taxes when they earn money. So that's good for everybody. 
But the reality of what's happening outside of the political argument is you've got older people working that shouldn't be anymore. And that's that's the issue. In many cases, it's people that did the right thing. That's the people that I look at and I say, you know, it's it's unfair. It's part of the system. Nobody's guaranteed anything. But when you've done the right thing in your life, for the most part, financially, you've set aside money, you've been a little bit disciplined and you look at what's going on and you say, wait a minute, you know, all of a sudden now I'm paying a price for something I didn't create. I, I am not getting the monthly income, which when it was factored in, this was supposed to make sure it paid my bills and kept my head above water. This was supposed to work for me for the rest of my life. Now I'm finding out that that income has diminished dramatically in comparison to inflation, and I can't do it. You've got adult children moving back in with their parents. That's got to be a nightmare scenario for people. And so as we look at what's happened, and this is the, the conversation for today, a more adult children living with their parents and some of these other headlines that I have in front of me. Um, here come the job shock. The Philadelphia Fed admits U.S. jobs overstated by at least 1.1 million jobs, 1.1 million jobs. How is the Fed going to slow down the economy to reduce inflation, which they are now saying could take them into 2025 to get it fully under control? That's what's scaring the stock market as well, is that being unpredictable. And that next year may be a year that is also of down downward trends in the economy because of the increase in inflation continuing. Um, that they are saying that this could be a longer term than they wanted. And then the other part of this is, in my opinion, again, is consumer confidence. The U.S. consumer does not, and I don't think it's because this president has a D next to his name. This, the American consumer does not have confidence in this administration to fix the problem. What's been happening is passing the buck. Putin's price increase, and they, they, they point out all the other things going on in the world where there is some truth to what they're saying, but what they are not doing is taking responsibility. I had the energy secretary on this show because she was because she was in Arizona. She was on the phone with me as she was touring coal plants and other things here in Arizona, and I began to ask her. This was back when gasoline was outrageously expensive. We understand diesel still is, but this was when it, we were setting records or close to records with gas prices. And I asked her about the policies and why this is happening. She blamed it on the oil companies and profiteering. She blamed it on Putin and the price hikes. She blamed it on a multitude of things. So then I asked her, is there any policy or there, is, it have, is there any blame on the Biden administration for its policies for prices being so high? And she said, absolutely not. So there is absolutely no responsibility being taken by leadership, which means if they don't take responsibility, they're never going to change. You look at diesel fuel remaining very, very high because of the supply issue. It's the same thing the Arizona has uh, when it comes to the housing issue. The difference is every politician I talk to, every elected official in the state of Arizona, including Senator Sinema, when she was on this show the other day, in talking about the Arizona economy and what they need to do moving forward is address housing. If you look at one of the biggest stories that's come out, there are new elected leaders, including the governor-elect and Katie Hobbs, saying one of the things that the state of Arizona has to tackle is the housing issue. Now, am I going to agree with the policies of the new governor? I have no idea because I haven't seen what those policies are. But I don't know if I will or not. But the fact that they are saying these are the issues we need to attack – tells you that it's on the minds of everyone. In the Biden administration, they don't believe they've done anything wrong. 
So they don't believe they need to change anything. That's what's scaring a lot of people. The experts are saying, we've been saying this for too long. The Fed didn't act fast enough. They ignored this problem. They went along with the Biden administration and the mantra that it was transitory inflation until it was way too late. So why should we have any confidence in them to fix the problem now? That is what's scaring some of the experts. What we're going to do in a moment is it's called Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on our biggest stories. We're going to do them next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's get you caught up on the big headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. As we draw closer to the end of Title 42, many are speaking out about the harm it could cause. El Paso Deputy City Manager and Fire Chief Mario D'Agostino explains what it will mean for the city. If we're getting 2,500 apprehensions a day and we're talking about 1,600 street releases, that number doubles. You're not sending the, the Title 42s because that's no longer in place. That number is going to increase. Is this the most concerning aspect of the ending of Title 42? Yeah, the, the, the massive number of people that know that they are not going to be turned around because of COVID policies. The word travels around. The cartels are telling people that this is what's happening. There are thousands of people waiting in El Paso right now just for Title 42 to expire. Title 42 to expire and then they're coming into the country with an expectation that now they'll be able to stay. So it's going to overwhelm the system even more than it is. It's going to be a massive flood of people and we've not heard anything from the administration of what they're going to do to replace Title 42. That's why even Democrats, prominent Democrats are saying to the president you got to do something. This is going to crush us. Brittany Griner has made her first public comments on Instagram since returning home from Russia. Griner's statement included a special thank you to President Biden and added, I know you are committed to bringing Paul Whelan home too. What could be the best use of her platform to bring awareness for other Americans still in other countries? See, that's the issue, is what what will she do? And and when she starts making her first official public comments, those are the things bringing up Paul Whelan, I think, is an important thing to do for her. I don't know how she uses her platform for awareness. I don't know what she's going to do next, and that's what we're all anxious to see. Again, as an American, I want to see every American out of harm's way. I don't want want them imprisoned by these, these dictators around the world, but we've got to do something. Something more to get other people home. This shouldn't be just about celebrities, and she shouldn't be punished because she's a celebrity either. It shouldn't be that she goes to the end of the line. I just wish there was a better system, and maybe she can use that celebrity to help others. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on these headlines. President Biden is traveling to a Delaware National Guard facility to raise awareness for the promise to address comprehensive toxins, or PACT Act. He believes he's worried that his son's exposure to toxic burn pits while serving in Iraq could have played a role in him developing cancer. And so this legislation that was passed earlier this year that really expands benefits for veterans uh, is really important to this president. Why is it important to make veterans aware of the PACT Act? Listen, I I don't think the veterans need to be made aware of this. Uh, I think they're fighting it. I think this is something that's long overdue. When you're talking about Agent Orange going all the way back to the Vietnam War and what this has done to men and women who are in harm's way, other toxic substances that that they're exposed to on the battlefield. Um, We make a promise. I think one of the issues that most Americans believe is whether you are in favor of a certain conflict or you aren't, we support the men and women that serve because they don't give orders, they follow orders. When 
are sent into harm's way. They go and they do their jobs. The least we can do as Americans is make sure their medical needs are cared for, especially if any medical condition that they develop is because of their service. And it's the one area where we have failed believing that we were succeeding. We need to, as Americans, do whatever it takes to make sure that the medical needs of veterans are served and that they are cared for. It's the least we can do as a country, and it's one thing that should bind all of us. This should not be a partisan issue. Everybody should be on board with this. Last night, Elon Musk suspended a half dozen journalists who have been critical of him while covering the company. The Washington Post released a statement on their journalist, Drew Harwell, who was a part of the suspensions. The suspension of Drew Harwell's Twitter account directly undermines Elon Musk's claim that he intends to run Twitter as a platform dedicated to free speech. Harwell was banished from Twitter without warning, process, or explanation. (laughs) Back in April of this year, Musk tweeted, and I quote, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter, because that is what free speech means. Is this move hypocritical of how he's discussed freedom of speech in the past? He says it's because of doxing. It's his platform. He can do whatever he wants. I don't want to hear anybody on the other side of this conversation complain about people getting suspended unceremoniously when it's happened to people on the other side of the aisle since the beginning of Twitter. What they did with the Hunter Biden laptop thing. What they did with COVID-19 and anybody that disagreed with whatever the left called the science. I don't want to hear it. The old owners of Twitter did exactly what Elon Musk is doing. They just did it to other people. Now it's happening to people that they care about. So now free speech matters. You want a free speech platform? Gather up $40 billion, buy it from Elon Musk, and run it any way you want to. Until then, find a different avenue for your free speech because he's shutting it down on some people. It's his platform. Let him do what he wants. And maybe that's because for me, it's entertainment. I, I, I've been, I'm having a conversation. So, you know, during a commercial break, I start looking on social media. I respond to people's messages. I'm looking at text messages. I'm kind of responding to people. I do this during every commercial break. I'm having a conversation, an ongoing conversation with somebody on Facebook. We don't agree on anything, but it's a fun debate. I love the platform of Facebook Messenger. On Twitter, I've got people that disagree with me. I got people that hate me. I got people that threaten me, but I answer people. If you get vulgar and vitriolic, I'm going to block you. I have a right to block you from my account. There are very few people comparatively to the people I interact with that I've blocked on Twitter or I've blocked on Facebook Messenger or just made sure that all of their emails go to the trash. At some point, I have a right to do that if I want to. And that's just somebody that's a user and what goes on my page is my business. That doesn't mean I'm taking away your freedom of speech. It means I don't want to I don't want to view your freedom of speech. I don't like the way you do it. Go do it somewhere else. Elon Musk owns a company that he paid for. He can do whatever he wants with the platform. But the hypocrisy of people that are watched what happened with the laptop, that watched what happened with COVID-19, that watched some people get shut down because their political beliefs are one way, while evil dictators in other countries get to keep their pages. It's absolutely ludicrous. So if you want to scream hypocrisy, go ahead and scream hypocrisy. But it's an empty shout because you didn't do it when it happened to people you didn't like. You want fair? Be fair when it's not happening to your side of the aisle. Coming up in a moment, the immigration deal is dead. Senator Sinema's immigration deal is dead. But we have important conversations that have to be had about the border because Title 42 is right around the corner. The numbers are staggering. We'll discuss them next. Strong.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven nature do yourself a favor. If you want to get a Christmas album that is a worship album that puts you in the Christmas spirit the way it should be as a person of faith, if you are someone that believes in the Christmas season as a faith-based time, not just a time of gift-giving, which I love as well, get this CD. It is, Or just go get it online. I was listening to it yesterday on Amazon, on Alexa, and it is a Third Day Christmas Offerings. The band is Third Day, and the album is called Christmas Offerings. And I think it's, it is the best Christmas album I've ever heard. They do a great job. Anyway, Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. I've got my last 30 minutes of the year, so I better make them good. I want to talk about the border. Uh, Senator Cinema was on the show the other day and talking about the importance of getting things done and what her bill does. So she talked about um, some things that she wants to do. She talks about some of the things that her legislation would do. These are the two main parts of it. Senator Tillis and I first extend the Title 42 authorities for one year. And we do that because we know it will take time to set up changes to the asylum structure and to reinforce our men and women who work for Customs and Border Patrol right now. So I want you to hear this because I that the two things the senators were working on. A last ditch effort by Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema provided an estimated two million undocumented youth with illegal status in exchange for stronger border security measures, failed to gain enough support in the US Senate to reach sixty vote threshold needed to advance the legislation. The proposed agreement would have provided and it went into the details you just heard. So what is it? I, and I'll be honest, I don't know the details of why something like this would fail when Title 42 is about to expire. This is where the dangers are for people. Listen here. This is uh, this is the deputy city manager and fire chief from uh, El Paso talking about what's going on and what's happening. If we're getting 2,500 apprehensions a day and we're talking about 1,600 street releases, that number doubles. You're not sending the, the Title 42s because that's no longer in place. That number is going to increase. The reports this morning, I'm going to find them and put them up on social media a little bit later, is this. What I we are going to do, what, what is happening is thousands and thousands of, of people are now gathering on the uh, Mexican side of the U.S. border, and they are awaiting the expiration of Title 42 and the Biden administration and border sheriffs and, and border governors all realize that as soon as that happens, as soon as it's officially over, they are crossing into the U.S. And based on the policies of this administration and based on U.S. immigration law, they are going to apply for asylum. They are going to demand their hearings. They are going to overwhelm the system. And I will tell you another thing that's happening. As sure as I'm sitting here, and I, I have some people that do this for a living that I talk with, so I'm not just speaking as someone that's guessing. You know, I hope, at least I hope you know, that what the cartels have done by effectively controlling the border, it's not just about the people that are coming here. They're making millions of dollars doing that. There's no doubt. But in addition 
to treating them poorly and treating them like cargo. They also are used as a diversion. They also are used as labor. And what is going to happen is, in addition, I guarantee you, in addition to the number of people that are gathering at the border that are ready to cross, behind them and in areas, whether it's the ports of entry or wherever it's going to be, behind them are drugs, the methamphetamines, the fentanyls, and other things ready to go. Because when border agents, whether it's ICE or CBP, when they are faced with the thousands of people that they have to process, and there's a priority because American lawmen that it's an expedited process, at least for a hearing. So all of that has to happen by our law. So while border agents are, are, are fixated on that issue, they are going to use that as a diversion to get more and more of their poison into this country. That's just the way it works. The cartels control the border. This is I, and I, I am I am going to say thank you to the Democrats that have spoken up. Uh, Gavin Newsom never thought he would, but he did. He sees what's happening in his state. Uh, another congressman from the state of Texas that is a staunch Democrat speaking to the White House. More and more Democrats are speaking up, and I've been saying for a while now they're going to have to. The reason, and I, I mean, this is justified. I'm not angry about this. The president of the United States, A, is never going to listen to a guy and talk radio, nor should he. But he certainly isn't going to listen to a conservative Republican that would never vote for him ever, and I wouldn't. I defend him when it comes to other countries. You burn the American president in effigy after we give you billions of dollars in support. I've got no use for you. I don't care what party my president is in. But I'm not going to vote for you. I'm not going to vote for your policies. He knows that. He's not trying to win me over. He's not trying to keep me on his side. But he is with other Democrats. And thankfully, they're starting to speak up. Now, they may be speaking up because they have to, not because they want to, but I don't care. They need to speak up in louder voices. Democrat voters out there, you need to keep speaking your mind. The majority of voters on the Democratic side, right in the last polls I saw, Quinnipiac and other polls that we've seen, they don't want this president to run for reelection. They want new leadership. Now, they don't like the Republicans. This isn't about they're going to, you know, they're going to switch teams now and vote for a Republican candidate. What they're saying is, A, you can't win, and B, you're not doing a good job. They don't trust him on the economy. They don't trust him on the border, just like Republicans don't. And they are doing very little to win their own people over. But the importance of getting this done in, in the near future, what's happening right now, boots on the ground, is they're going to be overwhelmed. But the long-term effects, you know, we're still fighting over the dreamers. I keep saying this over and over again. We've got, we've got people that are adults in this country right now, adults in this country, that were brought here as young children. So you're talking about a problem that's 15 to 20 years old where they have no solution. And that DACA, that DREAM Act, that goes back to presidents, and they still haven't settled it. And while that's happening, amassing on the border is the next generation of dreamer. In this country, with electric monitoring devices, is the next generation of dreamer. We are doing this to our grandchildren. That's what we're doing. Our children and our grandchildren will fight this battle. It is pure insanity. And we, uh, uh, the other side of this that should be a positive, and I keep saying this as well, we as Americans should have an immigration system that we're proud of. You know, the Statue of Liberty given to us by the French, the Statue of Liberty is a beacon of immigration and freedom, not just to us, around the world. 
the world sees that as the American dream. Now, obviously, the southern border and New York are two different things. But that symbol that America is a place of immigrants should always stand. We should have an immigration system as Americans that we are proud of. The opportunity we give the world to live the American dream. And we should be ashamed of what's happening right now. We should be furious at our leadership on both sides of the political aisle. And we should be ashamed of how bad it's gotten with no answer in sight. Just a few minutes left before we uh, close it out. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, reading because I've I mentioned twice today, uh, 20% of America, one-fifth of Americans – um, have difficulty reading and what that's going to mean going forward as the problem is getting worse, not better. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. The spirit's up, we're here tonight, and that's enough, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Hey, Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. Happy holidays, happy Hanukkah. Um, in all sincerity, thank you so much for listening to the show for any part of your day that you do. And uh, I really hope all of you have a great Christmas. It's nice um, looking at some of the things on Twitter. I didn't get a chance to reply to all of them, but I'm looking at some stuff on social media and uh, there is someone that, um, again, we disagree quite a bit. I'm just going to read the tweet to you. It says, I will probably always disagree with you on most topics, but I sincerely wish you a Merry Christmas. Now, to me, that's what Christmas is all about. We set aside our differences. We count our blessings. We're more giving. We're kinder to each other. Uh, there's more of an embrace. We reach out with an open hand instead of a closed fist. It really is. I think it's a miraculous time of year. I certainly do. And uh, um, just kind of reminiscing and kind of... Uh, Thinking about what, what the year has been like, I'm going to be gone for the rest of the year, not gone out of town the whole time, but I'm going to be off the air for the rest of the year. And it's a pretty fascinating time to be in this business because we have been more divided than ever. We are more politically divided than we've ever been. And it's people get angry. I don't blame them. Um, I can't I can't get angry on my side of the aisle and then complain about somebody other somebody else's anger on the other side. It, it's just it's a fact of life. We are divided. I think we'll get past it. I think it'll we'll come back together again. Uh, I, it's weird. If you look back, I think most Americans would realize after 9-11 – this nation was as united as we I'd seen it in my lifetime. It was just a great time. And uh, some of the things that happened on 9-11 uh, that were horrible for this country turned out to be somewhat of a, the silver lining of a dark cloud, which obviously if we could prevent it from ever happening, we should have. But in the wake of it happening was, if you remember, it was a pretty divided Congress back then. And uh, the entire United States Congress stood out on the Capitol steps and sang God bless America. That was a pretty significant significant moment for me as an American to see Republicans and Democrats sing that particular song on the steps of the Capitol as kind of a, uh, a a symbol to the rest of the world that we are more unified than ever. And I think that leadership, both sides of the aisle, that leadership is what kept that momentum going. And uh, here we are now in need of that kind of unity. Now, you know, God forbid it be a tragedy. I hope it isn't. But there's got to be a way for people to realize we have to come together. 
We just have to. Um, we are we are beating our heads against the wall. We are much stronger united than we are divided. It was interesting, you know, when you uh, – this is a terrible analogy. I use way too many of them that are bad, but this is a bad one. Um, when I was a football coach um, – you know that there is always if you're not if you've not been on a football team or had a child that plays football um there is always a rivalry between the offense and defense. Now, I'm not leaving out special teams, big part of the game, but there is a rivalry between the offense and defense, and there always will be, and there always should be. A healthy rivalry like that matters. But when you enter a game, you're all wearing the same uniform. And that rivalry needs to be a healthy rivalry, meaning we are better together when we are stronger individually, when my team is strong. So when the Republicans are strong, when they have good candidates and good ideas and the Democrats have good candidates and good ideas on their side of the aisle, it makes us a better country because you have to fight for what's best instead of the lesser of two evils. That's the direction the country should always be looking to go. When you look, you know, one of the greatest of and keeping with the sports theme, you know, when you look at the Army Navy game every year, so many people watch that game that aren't football fans. But you look at the unity on that field. But I don't know that people understand the depth of that rivalry within the services. The depth of that rivalry within the services and how much it is a heartbreak to lose that game and euphoric to win it. But when it's over, they truly are on the same team. Being that big of a rival and fighting that hard against each other makes you stronger when you realize you're part of a bigger team. So I hope you got a great Christmas planned. I, I know that uh, that I do, and uh, I wish it same for you and for yours. Give if you can and uh, receive. Receive if you need to, but let's be better people in the new year. That's going to be my commitment. If you're a social media user, I am at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter, uh, at Broomhead Show, updates you on what's happening on the show, guests and otherwise, and Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. That's how you can keep in touch with me, and I hope you will. Uh, keep in touch. I would love to do that. We'll be back on January 4th with the next edition is when I will be back on the air. Until then, have a great Christmas, everyone. God bless. Thank you.